and welcome to episode five of Whose Team Is It Anyway? Um, we are going week by week with different guests, talking them through their their own chosen best 11 in the world. Um, we've got a very excellent guest this week, um, a legend of the podcasting world. But before we get to that, uh, first, let me introduce my two co-hosts. Uh, first of all, Scott. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, doing good, mate. Uh, looking forward to this top of the table tie with me and Eddie today. So, <laughs> I was uh, I was talking to Eddie just before this, and uh, I said that you know if you guys are the Celtic and the Rangers, then I'm definitely the Partick Thistle this competition. So um, yeah, and and unfortunately, Eddie has already claimed Rangers, so you're stuck with what you've got, Scott, for joining the call late. I'm going to start calling you Andrew Nil. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, and uh, yes, as intimated, our other co-host tonight is Iddy. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Um, I'm going to apologise to the listeners. I'll not timestamp the episode, but my voice hasn't quite fully recovered from a certain football match that's taken place recently. But yes, very um, excited for tonight's episode. Once again, we've managed to line up a, a fantastic guest, so really looking forward to hearing his team and seeing where we go from there. Yeah, we never like to timestamp these ones, but Rangers are through to a fairly good uh, final of a, of a relatively notable European competition. So it should be should be an interesting week. But apologies if anyone sounds a bit ropey or slow or tired <laughs> or otherwise uh, not totally with it. Anyway, without further ado, let's cue the music and we'll hear from our guests. Yes, uh, hello, David Edgar. How are you doing? I'm very happy to have you on the show. I'm a little bit nervous uh, because this feels like a you know three three hosts and me. I feel like I'm on the wrong side of the table at a job interview, <laughs> but. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to. It. I feel like I'm going to be quizzed. I feel like you know, what are your weaknesses? I'm incredibly <laughs> lazy. But uh, no, but I'm 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 looking forward to. It. It's nice to 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 get a chance to talk about some of these players. And and it was such a a challenge when when you asked me to to come up with it because obviously you you pick a team and then you think right well wow what about him and oh I loved I loved him and oh he was great as well and then I thought I would do the overly complicated football manager thing of saying would they work as a three no screw that I'll just pick you know they don't they aren't actually having to go you know I don't need to coach them and get them like I don't need the forwards to track back so um in the end I went with 11 there's a lot of notable guys I could I could have mixed um I set my own criteria, which was they could be either what I thought was the best or my favourites. But I think I probably did lean mostly, a couple of exceptions, but mostly just towards guys that I really enjoyed. In fact, I enjoyed watching all 11 of them. Yeah, but I mean, I, I've I've had the pleasure of looking through this team already and uh, there's there's some quality, quality names in there. Um I think uh, it's, it's been a quite friendly atmosphere on, on most of these pods so far. We've not, I don't think we've, we've been particularly aggressive about people because we do recognize this is quite a personal thing. You know, your mm-hmm. best 11 probably isn't going to be the same as someone else's best 11. And we've had other criteria as well. We've had, you know, the bastards 11. I think um, 
in the case of uh, Marco Negri, who was uh, on the episode previous to us, he uh, he picked a lot of guys who he himself had either played with or against, um, which was fantastic because we got mm. all manner of insights into um, into these guys and why they made his eleven. So um, so yeah, that's obviously well worth checking out. But um, without much further ado, then uh, let's uh, take a look at uh, the chosen goalkeeper. Uh, David's gone for a four three three. And um, I will say as well, David, you were pretty good because we have had back and forth with um, other guests about, you know, them chopping and changing mm. their team. But you once once you actually threw it forward, you were pretty set. One change, you, yeah. There was there one was, change. There, there was, was one change. change. Because I thought, see, if I start this, then I'm going because <laughs> there was one major one that I'd missed out on. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I, I thought, no, I've got to I've got to put him in. But after that, I thought, no, see if I start this, then I'll be, and I know what I'm like, and I've been lying awake at like four in the morning going, hmm, weighing up the relative merits of this oh, left sure. back versus that left back. And I thought, no, <laughs> that way madness lies. So 100%. I just went, that's it. And it's done. And I, like I say, I know I'll, I'll go away and go, I can't believe it. And people will say to me, you didn't pick X, you didn't pick Y. Um so it, it can be nightmarish. I remember picking one for the, the Rangers programme, actually. They asked me to do my, my, my Rangers 11. And, of course, people people got offended that you didn't pick their favourite. And it's like, well, guys, it's my team. <laughs> I'm allowed to pick Absolutely, who I like. Absolutely, yeah. But, you know, the, you can make a case. And certainly, you know, the 11 greatest football. One thing I did, though, is I have to have seen them play. Like, I didn't go for anybody before my time. So that's not a knock on people who obviously kicked about like, you know, but spoiler, Pelly's not in there. I, I, I've only seen clips, you know. Um, so I saw a lot of these guys in the flesh and the ones that I didn't, I saw a lot of on television live, you know, 90 minutes. So I think I was in a position to to say, whereas I think if you're going with the best in the world, if you're going with somebody before it, and people might, but you're going on reputation, you're not going on what you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah, uh, I think, you know, we, we have had that debate with other people about, you know, well, wh- why did that player make it in? But as as we said, it, it's your show. Uh, well, not, it, it's our show, but, you know, you're you're the one who's providing the content, David. We're just exploiting <laughs> you for it. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> Sorry, can I just clarify one point before we start? I just want to make sure I heard that right. David, I love a four four two big man little man strike force Edgar mm. has gone with a four three three. Well, we couldn't get Mark Hately and he played for Rangers, so <laughs> that that ruled him out. Um, and then you're you know, but if I was a manager of Rangers tomorrow, then absolutely Rangers would be playing lining up in matches with a four four two with a big guy and a wee guy up front and a goalie with big hands. But <laughs> um but no, no, I um as I say, that was one of the things that I I thought about because at first I was going to go and it needs to be a holding midfielder and next to him needs to be a ball carrier and up front guys and then I thought no they don't you can just pick the 11 best players in the random formation I didn't go with like a 4-1-5 or something crazy but um, everybody's in the right position but like for instance the front three I don't necessarily think would work because they don't want to play pretty much in the same space. So I'm not quite sure it would work. Uh, It's more an on-paper team. So there's a clue, there's a hint for Mm. you. Don't think because it's a right-sided attacker that it's a right-sided attacker. (laughs) They play up front. That's about as as close as you're going to get, yeah. Yes. Um, 
I mean, yeah, in, in terms of your team, David, I think we've only had, um, there were only two players, I think, that were in this that have been uh, in previous teams, as far as I can remember, at least. So, um, so yeah, plenty of change um, should be interesting. And uh, I'm excited to torture Sasser and Idi while we make them uh, guess these uh, these players. So, without further ado, let's kick off with the goalkeeper. Um widely regarded as probably one of the best goalkeepers of all time, um, has played for PSG, Juventus and Parma, as well as a couple of other teams, and made 176 appearances uh, for his national team. Uh, Scott, you're up first on the guess. Um, I just re- I just remember him for that Puma advert with the giant lady. Webella, I believe it's Gigi Buffon. Uh, Idi, any uh, advances on that? I mean, with the clues given, you, you've just fell short of actually naming him there. There's, there's <laughs> hey, else. I, did, I didn't mention, you know, one team that he played for. You know? <laughs> uh, yes, it's uh, Buffon. David, talk us through your choice there. I think that when you talk about the, the greatest keepers ever, um, and I will live and die on the hill that says that in 92, 93, Andy Gordon was the best goalkeeper in the world. Um and it may be only last this season, but I would say it was true. But I think for the best ever, you're talking about longevity. And right from the start when he came through, as a kid, I mean, as a teenager, you knew he was special. He had that that frame. He had that wingspan, which, you know, don't underrate for a goalkeeper. But he also had that presence, that command. And he played almost from the start with a level of maturity that, that was incredible. Wonderful shot stopper, wonderful um, ability to command and control a box. I think a goalkeeper that inspires confidence in a defence is, is huge. You can tell when a team doesn't have confidence in its goalkeeper. It, it almost sort of spreads out like a virus, whereas with him, that was never a question. He was a leader. I'm not normally a big fan of goalkeepers being captain just because I don't think they can, you know, how they're going to sort out an attacking free kick or whatever. But he was very much a leader. He didn't need an armband for that. Um, he was also a bit of a dude. Um, he was very cool in that sort of Italian football way. And rather brilliantly as well, I think he stayed with Juventus the year they went down because of Calciopoli. Now, you may say, well, they only went down one division. It was pretty clear they were coming back up, but but not everybody did. Uh, and even a few of them went out on loan for a year to play in Serie, uh, to play in Serie A or whatever. But he rather memorably said, oh, I've never played in Serie B. It'll be, it'll be an experience. And he went and he did it and he came back up. And he's still playing. You know, we, I saw him at, <laughs> at Ibrox in 1999, um, where he was already considered one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And funnily enough, wore an inside-out Rangers top that night because of a kit clash. So he's, he's actually been in a Rangers kit at one point in his life. But he was just, you know, as I say, I, 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 he was always there. You know, for the last two decades in football, he's always been there. He was always highly respected. You look at the clubs he's played for, you look at what he's won. Um, it's a shame he hasn't won the Champions League. That's the only thing missing from from his, uh, his medal hall. He's got a World Cup in there as well. And I just... I. At his best, I, did, I didn't see a weakness in his game. You know, he could kick, he could take a pass, all of those kind of modern football things as a goalkeeper. But at the actual art of goalkeeping, one-on-ones, shot-stopping, commanding a box, I genuinely don't think I've seen anybody better more consistently for a longer period. I think Alisson is getting close, the Liverpool goalkeeper. I think he's getting close to that. But for me still, just because of that longevity to do it, 
for 20 years, goalkeeper or not. That's amazing. Yeah, I've got a couple of little bits of trivia. He's the only goalkeeper to ever win the UEFA Club Footballer of the Year, um, which wow. is probably a mark of um, how how good he is, because um, I, I would reckon that probably normally goes to like a striker, you know. Um, and yeah, the most capped player for the Italy national team as well. Uh, third most capped uh, European international player. Um, world record of Serie A titles that he personally has uh, has been involved in winning. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Scott, what's your what's your views on uh, Buffon as a, as a choice? Uh, firstly, I'd just like to say that I'm very much in agreement with David about the, the longevity and the, this guy being a presence for the last two decades. You just can't remember roughly a Juventus side or a, an Italian side without him there. Um, I agree with everything that's been pretty much said already. Um, he was just this commanding presence at the back. Um, certainly not that you have to really have an Italian defence organised, but to, to have him behind you makes it even more organised. So, um, yeah, wonderful guy. Like you said, great wingspan. Um, I remember seeing him at Parma 99, um, which is only which lived long in my memory until perhaps last night, <laughs> if we excuse the time stamp. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, just an absolutely brilliant keeper, um, shot stopping ability, penalty save, very good, very good penalty saving as well, um, and just an all round cool guy, like you said, um, adverts, you name it, he's been in it. Uh, we tip that for anybody listening. If you look up a song called Cor Azuro. Um, you'll find the Italian 2006 World Cup anthem where him and uh, a certain Reno Gattuso certainly give us a good show of their pipes as well. So, mm-hmm. Oh, that sounded dodgy there, didn't it? But, uh, yeah, they had, they had very good lungs on them, uh, put it that way. But uh, can't disagree in the slightest what a player. Uh, Eddie, how about you? Any dissent there or uh, are you in agreement with, uh, with Scott? No, fantastic choice. I think... Um, I'm surprised at how long it's taken for him to be brought up on the show, to be honest. He's the keeper that I would pick if I was probably making my 11. Um, certainly him or Gorham. It would be between the two and then the Gorham one, I think, is purely on the the um, emotional side of it and him being a Rangers player. And like David said, that 92-93 season. But um, I think Buffon is definitely, definitely someone that should feature in a lot more of these 11s. Um, great with the ball, brilliant shot stopper. I'm actually surprised when we've talked about his longevity that it's only a couple of decades. It feels like he's been playing since my granddad was a little boy. <laughs> I, I can't seem to remember him ever not playing fo- uh, football. And every year I, I seem to message my friends saying, I can't believe Buffon's still around. Um, but he's just fantastic and a, a excellent choice to start a team off on. One that you know is going to give confidence to that back four going to command his area and is just really going to be the the backbone of the team excellent okay well we'll move straight on to uh your right back david um if if the clues for the last one were easy then this um this is probably going to be even easier um he's uh only ever played for one team uh for his senior career um and has played for two international teams, uh, one where he's made 100 appearances and one where he's made only six appearances um, on the international stage. Those are both senior international appearances as well. Um, and that's all the clues I'm going to give you for now. Uh, Idi, you're up first. Oof. You're having a laugh, Andrew, you're not. Well, I've got, got to got try and... One and I've got this. See if it makes you feel a bit better, Idi. I think I know it. 
<laughs> All right. I'll be um, very impressed if you do. Yeah, no, no, because he's an obscure player. He most certainly isn't, but because no. those clues were tough. <laughs> it's uh, it's probably difficult to provide too many more clues without just giving it away. So um, yeah, yeah. Idi, um, are you are you giving up? Are you passing this over to Scott? Is there any way to get like <laughs> not too much more <laughs> of a clue, but like I'll give it, even a, a Eddie, I'll give you a clue. He, he had cur- he had curly hair. <laughs> European continent. Nah. Yeah, I can't. I can't do any more for you, mate. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm not getting that one. That's look at my guess as well. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> um, well, um, as much as I'd like to give you boys even more points and send you even further up the table away from me, um, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it. So, David, oh, 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 I had a guess yet. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'll okay. Take, Scott, I'll, take okay. A, I'll take a stab. Go for Go it. On. Danny McLean? <laughs> um, no, no, it's not. <laughs> you're, you're, you're trying to get me to sing a song that'll get me in the front of the Daily Record again, aren't you? Um, listen, listen, we, we're all here to dig through their tweets. I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, that's, that's true. That's why the, 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 the maddie Celtic fans will be listening. Uh, it's Carles Puyol, um, the Barcelona. Uh, he was a right back to begin with, moved into the centre uh, of his career. Uh, and his other games, I'm guessing, come for that pretendy country. <laughs> yes, uh, Catalonia. 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 Yes. Um, yeah, the, the reason <laughs> I picked him is years and years and years ago, I had a disastrous holiday with my now ex-wife when she insisted on bringing along, believe it or not, her mother. Uh, and as you can imagine, that went well. I wasn't a fan of her mother so after we got back it was a draining two weeks and I says, we actually need a holiday to cover from that holiday so we went to Barcelona and at the time this is what 2003 and it's before the huge renaissance because you, you, there's a pep team but people sometimes I think forget about the Rijkaard team that, that won a Champions League and was pretty dominant in Europe uh, and they had just signed Ronaldinho and they were very excited about that, but he was just starting. So we went along, and the guy I noticed was not some of the attack. They had Saviola as well, um, who, of course, was was a wonderful player, but not really at Barcelona. Raquel May was there. They were their big signings that summer. Uh, they had Ronaldinho and they had Clive there. But the guy I noticed was Carlos Puyo, you know, with the big shaggy hair, because they were one of the worst defences I had ever seen in my life. They were awful, the rest of them. I think Michael Reisiger was still there. A couple of um, Spanish centre-backs that were well past their, their best. And Puyol at corners did all the defending. I noticed, I was like, hang on a minute. Basically, they would sort of line up as if they were marking. But he would have his job was to watch where the ball actually went and go and head it away. And if he didn't, they were screwed. And he was magnificent at it. Uh, so I kept an eye on him you know, through his career, which was easy afterwards because obviously Barcelona began this huge renaissance and you know that team which I do think kind of gets ignored behind the Pep team and understandably so but it was a you guys will remember the Ronaldinho goal at Stamford Bridge for example you know that Deco was in the side as well they could play right they were a tremendous team and once they put actual defenders next to them um, he, he just flourished he of course had all the success with Spain as well um, and again you know a leader I like that and in defenders in particular but one-on-one he was superb wasn't the quickest but he read the game so well 
physically he was terrific, which is maybe not always something we identify with continental players. I think we think of it as more of a British thing, but he had that physicality as well. And he was, as you would imagine for a Barcelona player, very comfortable with the ball at his feet. But there was almost a slightly British element to him. He would chuck himself in front of things. You know, he, he would be the last man. He was a guy that would, would come in and make the goal-saving challenge. And because of that, I think that that he was just somebody I always enjoyed watching. He seems to have been sort of forgotten out with Barcelona. I think within the club, he's a legend. You mentioned there, Andrew, he's a one-club guy. Um, but I think that he was part of an era that, that built and really took them from being people, you know, younger people, given what Barcelona have been this century, might forget in the 90s, they were very much sort of second on the belt to Real Madrid. You know, they, they were always sort of near but far, especially from, from winning, you know, the Champions League. So I just think he was such an important part of their history, such a big player at a big club, and he was just a ter- terrific footballer. Eddie, if you've uh, recovered from uh, from missing that one, um, do you agree, disagree with uh, David's pick for his right back? It's an interesting one. Um, he's certainly a fantastic player. Um, I mean, you don't get into that Barcelona team and, and stay there for the length of time that he did without being a great player. Um, pretty much won everything in his career, I think, including yeah, as a individual award, he won the One Club Award as well. Um, which is a, a trophy that's handed out to players. It's a Spanish one, I think, but they hand it out to players out with um, in the world to recognise any big-name players that have stayed at one club their entire career. So he's even won that very rare award. Um, again, another strong leader. You see him, I've seen a few games where he's been shouting at players if he hasn't quite felt that they've been doing much right, but also willing to go over and kind of put an arm around the shoulder. So very strong um personality as well so yeah good choice I, I, um, I wasn't expecting him at right right back I've got to be honest uh, going in I was expecting to sit here and be able to come straight out with Gary Stevens as soon as the clue was given but um, fully respect but the got, decision remember I got told not to pick any Rangers players or it would be Sir Garfield of Stevens that would have been in there <laughs> because you know that still to this look modern right backs all of them he started that Gary Stevens right he invented it so you know, when we're talking about Tav or we're talking about Trent Alexander-Arnold or Reese James or whoever, um, go back and watch Gary Stevens. He he did it first. He was doing it for Everton in 1985. He was doing it for Rangers in 1988. Um, he's he's the he's the legend. He's he's the Elvis. He's the man who started it all. <laughs> uh, Scott, uh, have you got any uh, any complaints about Puyol as uh, as the right back there? No, no, not at all. Um, I think Magnum's come up there when it was him playing at right back. As I've said before, I've not got the best attention span when it comes to Spanish football, but I definitely remember him. And obviously playing for Spain in the World Cups and playing for Barcelona in the Champions League. Uh, and again, similar to Buffon, somebody with that sort of longevity to be in a top-class side, then you've got to have that. Um, I, I really liked the point David made about uh, the Britishness to his game, that he wasn't afraid to throw himself in front of things. I think very seldom do you see a continental centre half that's maybe got the, the sort of bravery that you would associate with the British game. Um, and just to say the, the lesson that I've learned there is not to say I think I know it ever again on this podcast <laughs> because I was going to go with Javier Zanetti. Oh, that's um, a good choice. That's a really good choice. Um, um, but a, a fabulous football player and could play as comfortably on 
the right or the left didn't bother him on midfield didn't bother him just I think, think I some, think it was the right back that threw me for Puyo I think something like 800 games for Inter Milan I mean that's just that's insanity isn't it you, you, how good do you need to be to achieve that I was he was just world class for day dot but anyway, listen, that, that might be my team, so we'll go back to yours. I apologise, but that was just me exp- <laughs> that was me explaining my slight smugness before I get slapped down. It's all right, Scott. I was going to guess Suarez. <laughs> <laughs> it is guess Suarez about five times on this podcast, and it's never, ever been right. So it's always, always hilarious when it does. The only time I didn't guess him was when it was Suarez. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Um, okay, well, if uh, the right backs are one team man, then this uh, this guy at centre back is also very much a one team man. Uh, Six hundred and forty nine appearances for his one club uh, with twenty nine goals. Um, what else do I want to give you? Anything? Uh, Scott up first. Um, seven goals for his national team as well. How about that? I'm between two. All right, okay. And I'm going to go with Franco Baresi. All righty. Uh, Eddie, any advances on that? Yes, and I'm glad he's passed it over to me because I've been just about chucking my chair out the window thinking he'd got another absolute walk in there. Paolo Maldini. David, do you want to tell them who's right? Yeah, it's Paolo Maldini. Hey. <laughs> two good guesses. Um... I think anybody my age, I just need to say the words, don't I? Um, I think he was the first footballer that a lot of us got weird and confusing sexual feelings for. Uh, (laughs) You know, because he was so handsome. Um, An absolute Rolls Royce, uh, if I may dust down that cliche, of a football player. And again, when you were used to growing up with... You know, Scottish centre halves in particular, <laughs> big ugly guys that <laughs> would throw themselves at balls, and you know they all had a broken nose that that would never reset and stuff. And then here along came this guy who was just so elegant. Again, you know, we we've maybe grown up to to an era where our centre halves can pass the ball. Well, they certainly couldn't when I was a kid. It was exceptional if they could. Terry Butcher being one. But Maldini was just terrific at, at all parts of it. He didn't look quick, but he was. He didn't look as though he'd be good in the air, but he was. Uh, he very rarely had to leave his feet because his anticipation was such that he just was always in the right place, able to go and take the ball. Um, and, defend, and many forwards where I've read their autobiographies, Bergkamp, um, for example, is one would name him as the, the toughest player because they said he was almost like a ghost. Um, you, you would think you had the situation under control and he'd arrive and take the ball away from you. Again, he had that recovery pace. He played in the, the AC Milan back four where they had terrific players like Berezi and Tassotti, but they weren't the quickest he was. So he was able to get back and defend. He was disciplined. You know, that, that Italian era where... You had to be disciplined. You had to be tactically aware, and they really were. Uh, I mean, they were, I think, decades genuinely ahead of the the competition. And there is a shout, which will get lessened because of recency bias. When people talk about the best teams of all time, 
they're talking right now about Liverpool potentially being one. They talk about that Barcelona team under Pep. Uh, they talk about you know Bayern Munich team of this century. That Milan team round about 1994 where they smashed Barcelona in the final 4 mil because that was a hell of a Barcelona team. Uh, that has a real claim to being the best club side of all time. And he was the the epitome of that side to me. He was the heartbeat of it. Again, you know, one club guy. Uh, at AC Milan and, and at a club as, as old and, and famous as that to be as closely identified with it as he is you have to be tremendous uh, then of course you know his, his international career was a wee bit unlucky Italy seemed to, to fall to penalty shootouts a lot um, which was a bit unfair but he graced those tournaments that he was at he was always someone that you enjoyed watching and yeah as I say he was a total man crush when I was younger, just a, a fabulous player. And I also loved his his attitude. I remember uh he was asked about, you know, the the, the discipline that he showed in his life because he was very rigorous about diet, he was very rigorous about drink. He said, When I stop playing, uh, I'll drink bottles and bottles of red wine and eat as much as I like and become a very fat old man. But I've only got fifteen years as a player and I'm gonna make the most of it. And I thought, yes, that that love that. So yeah, absolute icon of a footballer. Yeah, let me uh, give you a couple of career stats. Um he spent twenty five seasons as a player um and won twenty five trophies with Milan. So that's not pretty that's pretty good going, you know. Um he um his number was actually retired. Um, when he um, when he finished up playing football, so Milan um, retired the number three shirt. And um, yeah, as David said, he um, he's taken part in four World Cups and uh, three uh, Euros as well. Um, got to the final of two of those World Cups, semi-final of two of the Euros. Um, and in every single one of those tournaments that I've mentioned, he was named in the All-Star team, which is probably a mark of how good he was. Mm. Um, Scott, I'll uh, I'll come to you first. Um, having uh, unfortunately picked the wrong side of the coin, um, thoughts on uh, thoughts on Maldini? Listen, if it was a it was a fifty fifty ball, and Maldini would have won it. So um, <laughs> <laughs> listen, uh, nothing you can say about him. Probably the goat for me defensively. I, again, I, I just when I think of Maldini, I, I, I'm similar to David. When I think about that sort of between my bay. 89 to 94, 94, 95, that Capello side, mm. they, won, they won the Serie A by scoring 36 goals. I mean, that, <laughs> that is outrageous. And I think the, the record I think they for the partnership... Yeah, was, I think they conceded like 14. And you think of the strikers that were playing in Serie A at that time, that's just ludicrous. It's, it was an insane partnership. And the record, they still hold the record. It was 196 games and they conceded 23 goals as a parent. <laughs> I mean, so so you, you can understand where my guess went logically there, but just just like I said, took the wrong side of the fifty-fifty ball. But Maldini, just the coolest head at the back you've ever seen, could put the boot in when he had to, but mm-hmm. he, he very rarely had to because he was so good at reading a game, and he knew knew where to be. Like like you said, I've read Dennis Bergkamp's autobiography as well, and seemed like a ghost. It was just you thought you had space, and then a second later he's on you, um, kept coming out of nowhere. So. Nah, there's there's nothing, there's no team ever that shouldn't have Maldini in their, their centre half pairing, and I think when we come to choosing our teams, I think we'll see three Maldinis as well. Uh, Eddie, uh, any any advance on that? Uh, happy that you got that guess at least. Yeah, um, there's there's not much more you can add to that. We've 
spoken about Maldini, I think, nearly every week. Um, and as I keep saying, he's one of my top three non-Rangers players of all time. Um, I was a, a defender as a kid because I had no skill whatsoever. So I just played as a defender because I could tackle. And it wasn't the, the prettiest position. Everyone got to pretend to be all, all the big-name strikers when they were playing. And then um, when Italian football started getting shown on Channel 4 and Maldini became a bit more... Um, accessible to, to kids my age I was able to watch him and say actually that's who I'm going to pretend to be when I'm out on the field now then because he was just absolutely amazing to watch um, the way he could read a game he was almost always in the right place um, David said he had great recovery speed but it was something that yeah he had it but actually you didn't need to see it that often because his reading of the game was so good that he was usually in the position he needed to be at that time and um, you can't really think of Milan without thinking of Maldini and when you get your your number retired by a club, it just shows exactly what you meant to that club and to to be the kind of the figure of a club, um, the face of a club as a defender and, and a club that while you were there won five Europe, major European trophies. Um, it's just unreal. It, an absolutely fantastic player. And like Sasa said there, I think he should be in pretty much every all-time 11 that's ever come forward. Nice one. Okay, well, we're going to move on to David's next choice for centre-back. This um, one, I'll just give him a clue. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that this guy, although a top, top player, I wouldn't necessarily say he's that sort of legendary status that uh, might be. This was just a guy that I really liked. Um, but, I mean, he was a top, top player. He won yeah, a lot, so it's not that. But just in case you're thinking... All right, it'll be another one of that level. It's it'll be Bereza, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't. I, 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 I did actually decide it would be one of those two. Right. Um, I was going to go with both. You're absolutely right. I was going to go with both of them, but then changed my mind. Uh, and it's not the same nationality, so because Chiellini was close. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he was he was very close to it as well. Because I love. Uh, I think it was Sasa that said earlier, the thing about uh, Chiellini is he is like that British that he will happily just brutally murder someone <laughs> to stop them. I, I love that UV defence where UV had, you know, all these skillful players at Dybala and, and, you, and they had uh, Ronaldo and they, they all these guys and four bastards behind them whose job it was was to murder anyone approaching their goal and Chiellini had that. But no, this is just a guy that, that I really liked. Yeah, uh, 100% not a one-club man. Um, In fact, looking through the stats, he's never made more than uh, 80 appearances for a single club. Um, Played for Eindhoven, Lazio, Milan, and uh, made 67 appearances for his national team, uh, scoring just three goals, um, internationally at least. Um, If internationally is a world, which I don't think it is. Um, Idi, you're up uh, with the guess. Um, Any shouts on this? I th- I think I know it. Um, I'm not going to get too confident, but is it Yapstam? Uh, Sasa. I agree, it's Yapstam. David, put him out there, misery. It is Yapstam. Yes, well yep. done, lads, and well done, well done, Andrew, for leaving at Manchester United. Because uh, <laughs> I think that obviously would have tipped it, but that one might have given it away. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that was good. The three clubs, because I think they would get you going. Hmm, I thought it was maybe someday, and it's not. Uh, yeah, Yapstam. Uh, again, can I just refer you back to bastards who <laughs> who play? And and I definitely think that his grandmother consorted with some of the German invaders 
because you could just see him being an evil an evil German uh, in a war film, couldn't you? Um, I don't hate Manchester United. I don't support them, but uh, I've got Northern, my dad's Northern Irish, so I've got Northern Irish family, and I know uh, a lot of people hate United, but I don't because my family in Northern Ireland, uh, uh, some of them are, are Manchester United supporters, as well as Rangers supporters. So uh, I've always sort of, for them, you know, kind of kept an eye on them. And one of the things about Manchester United under Ferguson was they played good football. So in the 90s, you know, and it was good because it was kind of boring. You'll remember that Sasson when we were growing up. Liverpool just won everything all the time. Um, that's why I don't really have a second team, but if I did, it would probably be Everton. And, and part of that was that everybody I knew at school was like, oh, Liverpool are my English team. So just being a dick, I went, well, Everton are mine um, to be different. Plus they wore blue, plus Trevor Stephen and Gary Stevens. Which I think's a good excuse, right? You know, I think Andy Gray as well. Stuart McCall. Stuart McCall. So there was always that. Um, but I even so, I, I admired that United team uh, that won the treble because I, I think that it, it was just the perfect balance. And it was 4 4 2, incidentally. Um, but Stam was. And I think Vidic would go on to do similar for them. And by Christ, how much could they do with one of those lads now? <laughs> Incidentally, um, Stam was just an absolute warrior. Uh, and he he got it for them. He went into the English Premiership and he looked like he was born to play in it, despite coming from you know a much more technical leading. And he was able to go to Italy and be a technical player. Um, I like a centre-back, you know, after waxing lyrical about a guy that doesn't go to ground a lot and doesn't you know, is physical but doesn't really show it. I do like a centre back that that is, as I say, a, a complete and utter cycle, and will do anything remotely possible to keep you out of his box. And Stam was like that uh, when he was at his peak. I think bad decisions. You know, I think like a few in that Manchester United team. I've read a few of the books from guys in that team, and they say after winning the Champions League in '99, there was a sort of complacency set in, which is why it took them so long to win it again. And Stam was one of the poster boys for that, and so much so that Ferguson sold him. Um, but he went to Italy and he had success uh, as well when he when he was over there. Different type of game back then, and Serie A back then was a much stronger league than it is now. Uh, that this was a sort of last hurrah of them being the biggest spenders in world football around about that kind of early two thousands period. And he was a, a terrific player there. But in in any team I ever pick, there would one of the centre halves would have to be that because I grew up with Terry Butcher and Richard Goff, so I can't have a team that doesn't have an absolute warrior at centre back. And Yapstam was that guy in this one. Uh, Eddie, any uh, any views, any dissent on uh, Yapstam as a as a pick? No, he's a very good pick. Um, he's like David said, he kind of fits into that bastard role that you're looking for in that position. Had an uncanny ability of when he was running with an attacker, no matter how fast the attacker was, seemed to be able to run alongside him and then just calmly stick his foot out and take the ball away while the, the attacker carried on running and always made the attacker look really silly when he did it. Um, I don't think I've seen many defenders with the ability to just do that so often as he did it. And then, again, like David said, if, if he wasn't in a position to run with the defender and just calmly take it off him, would throw himself into a slide tackle and almost always it was the perfect slide tackle and he'd come away with the ball again um, also loved a, a header from a, a set piece and one of those players that played for both 
PSV and Ajax. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's a, a good choice. I'm sure we were linked with him as well before he went to Man United. Um, yeah, we were. The, yeah. the money went up. Um, we were initially linked with him when it was round about sort of uh, five million. But United ended up paying you know ten uh, for him. So th- we were in the level that we could. At that time, you'll remember, sort of 98, we could buy five, six million pound signings. We were in that market, but we weren't quite in the double figure market yet. And United went in and got them. But uh, that would have been interesting. Although even then, if Manchester United came in, it would be difficult for someone in a different league to to go in and secure them. It's all right. We ended up getting the next best thing when we ended up signing Bert Conteman in the end. So there you go. Exactly. Everything worked you know, out well. We got we got the next one in the Dutch conveyor. Hang on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, a great Never choice. Um, and a, and a, a nice refreshing new name onto the show. So yeah, I like the pick. Good stuff. All right, we're going to move on to the uh, left back now. Well, I know we get to talk about you upstairs now. If you want to, you know, if, you, if you've if you've got your descent that you want to get in, go for it. No, no, no descent for me. Just saying, I I really like the upstam. I think that's like like I said, they're a quality refreshing choice to have in the team. Um, played alongside quite a few uh, Rangers uh, future Rangers players when he was at that Eindhoven squad that dominated the Eredivisie that year. Uh, obviously under Advocat, but he was next to a young Ronald Vatterus. Uh, Obviously, Arthur Newman, uh, Jan Vouters as well on that side. So I didn't pick that up until later. I remember him vehemently at Man United, where, like you said, he was just this big, angry man. <laughs> um, which, listen, I think every team, and I, I severely think that's what we've been lacking, and maybe since probably Ian Ferguson, that we've not had this big, angry man in our team. Um, but certainly, Man United could do with him now, or somebody of oh, his yeah. ilk. Well, I think, you know, people always talk about the Harry Maguire thing, right? And it's understandable. And I think a large part of that is United having had that run, if you like, of, you know, Bruce, Stam, Vidic. They feel more comfortable when they've got that big guy there. And when they couldn't find one, they went and sort of pretended that somebody was one. Um, (laughs) And I think that they've, they've, they've got the gap there. They just don't have the person to fill it. But I, I think, you know, look at, you know, Van Dyke's a more modern equivalent, a more cultured player, but he has a lot of the same qualities, a lot of that same forwards must just look at them, you know, as they're kicking off and go, Jesus. And I do, I think teams need that. I agree completely with you there. But, I mean, I think Harry Maguire would be more effective if he just put his head in the ground and sat still for 90 minutes. But... Yeah, 80 million quid. I mean, it will go down as one of the... You know, one of the worst transfers. I don't think people in 20 years' time when you're doing this show, lads, will be picking Harry Maguire, put it that way. <laughs> Feels unlikely. Yeah, feels unlikely. Um, okay, well, we're going to move on to uh, your left-back, David. Um, I'm leaving out a couple of obvious teams here, or a couple of big teams. Uh, this player played for Crystal Palace on loan, as well as Roma and Derby County. Made 107 appearances for his international team. He's actually the most capped fullback for that international team as well, but no goals scored. Um, Scott, I believe you're up first for the guess. Any shout? He has left it a couple of big teams, by the way. Just a couple. Um, it's the Palace one that's through me slightly, but I know I that, that's that's thrown in as a bastard. What, yeah. what was it? What was it? What was the other teams you said he played for again? Sorry. Uh, Roma and Derby County. 
Um, if it's at all useful, he only made 20 appearances with both of those collectively. Um, it, has, it has to be Ashley Cole, surely. Uh, Iddy, any advance on that? No, Ashley Cole was going to be my guess. There we go. Uh, David, can yes, you confirm? That, yes, I can. <laughs> Are you bastard for leaving it Chelsea and Arsenal? Um, <laughs> uh, yes, Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole was the best fullback in the world for a number of years. Uh, and I think that he, he may be at, you know, definitely back time. We know the famous, I got offered 55 grand a week when I wanted 60 and I nearly crashed my car. I was so angry. Comment. Um, but he was the best fullback in the world. He was just class in a glass, man. He was just electric. Pace off the charts, you know. Uh, he, he just was so smooth. But he wasn't a headless chicken. His running was all perfectly placed. He was in that Chelsea team under Jose that was almost metronomically disciplined. And then, of course, we'd go on to, you know, Ancelotti and uh, several others, uh, Goose Hiddink and whatnot. And he just was a super player, total athlete, tremendous footballer, you know, tremendous footballing brain. But the amount of risk Chelsea could take because they knew on the cover they had him and it didn't matter. And the amount of games I watched where Chelsea got broken upon, you know, when the other team just went at them and then steaming in, there's Ashley Cole. And you think, Jesus, he, he was at the byline a minute ago. And there he is back. He's run the length of the park. Tremendous engine, never let up. Um, and as I say, you know, the, the, the off the field stuff that maybe would put people off him. I was just going on what he was like as a footballer. Um, he was an absolutely superb footballer. He just, I, I again, I can't see a weakness. You know, I, I can't see anything that he wasn't good at. 107 caps for England. And uh, he's one of these guys who's maybe a tad underrated because... Um, he's maybe a guy that's a tad underrated because people never really took to him as a human being but see as a footballer if you can point me in the direction of somebody that's a better left back than him I'd be very very surprised No definitely um, Scott uh, break down Ashley Cole think he's a good good choice Obviously never heard of Sasa Papac but uh, <laughs> <laughs> cult, cult hero always tops it for me uh, no, no no complaints there Um I think we've had a few on this pod where we've maybe said we're, we're judging them by their on-field antics and not their off-field antics. And as a player, I'd argue, I'd, I would agree that the argument's very strong for him that he was the best left-back in the world, uh, certainly during his Arsenal and Chelsea career. Um, pace and abundance. Good tackle as well, like modern full-back that, that would tackle. I, I like that. Um, I wish a certain right-back would do it more often, but listen, I'm not getting in his case again, uh, ever again. Um, no, Ashley Cole, 10 out of 10, can't fault it in the slightest. And Eddie, uh, again, I don't think we're going to get much dissent, but um, your views on Ashley Cole? No, he's a great player. Um, I, I remember when he went from Arsenal to Chelsea and it was like, it, it just seemed absolutely huge at the time. I'm sure there's been other players, but he was the first one I really noticed going directly from a, a club like Arsenal to, to Chelsea and the kind of almost rivalry that English clubs tend to have. <laughs> and, uh, he's a, a great player, and I personally hated him because uh, he took Cheryl Cole off the market, and I was in love with her <laughs> at that time. And then I hated him because he totally messed her around. 
although I should have liked him for that because they ended up making her single again, although I never ended up with her. Just just to let the listeners know in case they yet, were, they were questioning that. <laughs> I, I won't say you yet. Won't my a, wife you, might you actually won't end up with that. Yeah, but you <laughs> won't end up there with that attitude. <laughs> but no, again, um, another great choice and, and another nice refreshing one that's not been picked yet. So very uh, yeah, I'm, very I'm, good team so far. I'm like really surprised that, that I was the first, to be honest, because, uh, again, I think it is just, you know, people didn't really take him as a person, which I do understand. But, you know, as a footballer, I, I just, you know, I think you, you have to. That Chelsea team had some really super players. And, and there was something, you know, if you weren't a Chelsea fan, I'm not, but there was something dislikable about some of them. I, I absolutely get that. But a team that's got Cole, Lampard, SEN, Drogba in it, you know, that that's a special side. He did it was also too. excellent for uh, England as well. I mean, yes, I think yeah. it was it was it 2004 where he completely marked Cristiano Ronaldo out of the game, and mm-hmm. it takes a a fantastic player to be able to even quieten Cristiano Ronaldo, let alone pretty much mark him out of the game. So, and I was going to say he did not too badly with Arsenal either because he was part of the Invincibles team um, in 0304. So. You know, of course, yeah. Not 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 too shabby, I think. Um, and and like Scott says, oh, you know, we we've not been trying to judge players by their off off pitch stuff. Um, it, this is purely about them as a player. So um, so yeah, I think on that basis alone, a worthy inclusion for sure. Uh, let's move on to the midfield now. Uh, we are looking at a guy who played for Marseille, Real Madrid, and PSG, along with others. And um, made 71 appearances for his national team. Uh, Idi, I believe you're up first for the guess. Makaleli. And Scott, any advance on that? I think uh, Makaleli's a shoot. And David, can you confirm? It's called the Makaleli position, for Christ's sake. Um, <laughs> if you get the position named after you, you might be pretty good at it. It was quite a disrespected position when when I was growing up. I think you boys would, would agree with me there. Defensive midfielders didn't get a lot of credit. You know, we all like the big surging, you know, guy from midfield that would go and leather a goal home and whatnot. Um, it's, it's become much more respected over the years to the point now where any team that doesn't have one you can spot it instantly you need the guy that sits there and anchors everything for you i don't care how good you are and he's playing some bloody good teams right you know france chelsea uh real madrid psg he played in some good sides but he he was he invented it you know he he was the guy that or rather he defined it because obviously it was there, but he defined it and he almost ratified it. And people still get compared to him now, even you know a few years after he's retired. It's can you do what he could do? You never really saw him. He just, it was only after the game you thought, oh, hang on, they, ne- they never got a pass through. They, 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 the ball just kept being returned because any time somebody tried to break on his side, tried to pass through, tried to run through in the middle with the ball, there he was, very quietly and effectively, getting the ball, and then he would look up and he would give it to, you know, one of the great players that one of the great players that he was alongside. Unfussy, unflashy. I guarantee you if you've got a match one Makalele shirt, it doesn't smell of sweat. Didn't need to. An almost telepathic understanding of where the football was going to end up 
and he would just go in and take it. And like I say, I'll finish with what I started with. If they named the position after you, you were probably very good at it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty strong argument, to be honest. Uh, Scott, your views on Claude McAuley? I absolutely love this choice. Uh, I'm surprised it's taken us so long to get him into a world of mm. um, but To quote some old school Simpsons, all I think of is the word yoink. Anytime <laughs> I've all went through, he was just there. Um, I just checked the stats there. 217 appearances for Chelsea and two goals. So that, that sums up what he was about. He was a team player and he'd done everything for his teammates. Very rarely went by the next midfielder. He'd just win the ball, pass it off, do his job, sit in front of that back four. And as he just glided. It, it never seemed to be too much effort for him. He just knew um, where the ball was going to end up and picked that. And to say that, to, to give him to his credit as well, the boy could pass a body. I mean, I'm not talking sometimes a wee two-yard pass. He could ping it, switch it, just outstanding player. Um, not maybe the biggest player, but I didn't, it didn't seem to matter. He just... He was strong, um, versatile. He could hold a ball up, and he would just always make sure that he played the pass that his teammates needed. So, all round ten out of ten again. And for me, I cannot argue with that at all. And uh, the your views on McAuley? Happy with the choice? Yeah. I, again, we've got a, a debut on the show here for um, McAuley, and it's it's a position that. Like David said, it wasn't a very popular one when we were growing up. It is a position that I always loved. I used to love watching players like um, another English Premier League player I enjoyed watching was David Bai, um, somebody that would love to get stuck into a tackle. And McAuley was similar and he, he would get stuck into a tackle, but he had the technical ability and the skill to to make it look effortless, while David Bai obviously just made it look like he was flying into a car crash. Um, McAuley, like... Uh, Scott said only scored two goals for Chelsea. I only remember one of them, and that was um, they had a penalty, I think it was against Charlton, and he actually missed the penalty, but the rebound came to him, and he, he scored mm-hmm. from the rebound. So that just shows you that he wasn't your, your goal-scoring midfielder, but he's the type of man who, knowing he was in his position, allowed the attacking players to go forward and do what they needed to do with the confidence that once if they didn't score and the other team got the ball, you would pretty surely have the ball back very shortly and be able to attack again. Yeah, I think like David said, it's a, it's a position that's definitely been underrated um, previously. Um, but but certainly now, I think that there's a greater understanding of the wider world of football and the, and the way that different players can slot in. And yeah, I think David's right when you say if you, you get the position named after you, you're probably pretty good there, right? <laughs> Um, Okay, we're going to move on to uh, David's next choice for midfielder. Uh, This is a player who's been on the podcast before, uh, played for one team for just under 500 appearances, 499 appearances, with 107 goals, and made 66 appearances for his national team as well. Uh, Idi, you're up first. I'm not. I had McAuley. Okay, that's fair enough then. Uh, Well then, Scott, you're up first. You say Paul Scholes. And um, any, any advance on that? No, it's, it's Paul Scholes, but that was very sporting of me. I would like that, to that was the listeners. very sporting of you to do that. Uh, yeah, David, uh, can you confirm? Uh, well, uh, I'm afraid I can't. 
uh, unfortunately, in that in this instant, lads. Uh, I, I would have loved to. Uh, oh no, I can. Sorry, I tell a lie. Uh, <laughs> I'm I like, always said you're thinking what? <laughs> what have you done to me here? <laughs> I misread my own team there, and I was like, oh, hang on a minute. I, I, I thought you'd just switch the order to annoy them. No, it is. It's post goals. Um, massively, massively underrated footballer. Um, I, there's this strange thing about England that they like a certain type. Maybe a British thing. Because you see it a lot as well, or you, you hear it a lot up here. We like guys who run about a bit, you know? And we like... It, it doesn't matter that when they actually get the white spherical round thing, that it usually ends up in the opposition stand. But Skulls was never really talked about in the same breath as Gerard and Lampard. And this is not, by the way, a diss on them. I loved watching Gerard and Lampard. I thought they were fantastic. But Scholes was the best. Um, he he could do everything, you know. I mean, he could he could literally do everything. Added to that, he had the tactical discipline that Gerard didn't. Uh, he had a passing ability that Lampard didn't. He could sit deep if you needed him to do that and play almost as a quarterback and just sit and ping balls perfectly to the forwards. You could play him just off the front guy, and he was a goal threat. Uh, you could play him in midfield, ask him to pass the ball, and he would. You could push him up a wee bit further forward. It didn't matter. There was nothing he wasn't good at. He retires, and Manchester United, who are quite a big side, um, after six months, the manager phones him and says, Here, we need you back on. And he's like, All right, okay. Pulls a pair of boots on after six months, and he's as good as he was when he left. Just an absolutely first class footballer. Um, never did any interviews as we know as a player, hasn't he shut his mouth since he retired right enough, but um, he's just making up for lost time. But as a player, that was the right attitude, just, you know, got on with it. And I love the story. He never had an agent. He would take his dad and his accountant to sign a contract and the negotiations would go like, we want to offer you this, aye, all right, because that's plenty of money. I I don't need any more than that. Just a a real good guy um, and a real good player. There was... Some debate, because after years of, of thinking he was a Brown player, there's that photo with his daughter's toes. And that kind of put me off a bit. But I can't pick Ashley Cole and not pick Paul Scholes for that reason. But I think it's an interesting debate about our mistrust in Britain of players that we almost consider to be... Um, that we almost consider to be almost fancy Dan European style players and he was a European style player he wasn't a traditional British player but he did have that British grip yeah we're, we're definitely not writing the um, personal life stuff because yeah the the toes in the mouth thing creeps me out um, <laughs> uh, Scott uh, let, let's have you go first about uh, talking about Paul's goals I think, I think I said it the last time we came up in the pod that I agree that Scholes was probably my favourite out of the three that seemed to get debated quite a lot. Um, one disagreement I'll have with David, uh, only slight, nothing he can't do. He couldn't fucking tackle. He said Could he tackle? Other. Yes. No, you are spot on. <laughs> Sorry, I take that back. His tackling was fucking awful. He just <laughs> oh, loved it when what? the ref would have a wee chuckle and book him and go, right, that's it. Right. Name it him. But... And he would do one every game. He would do one where he would just go in and absolutely smash something. He'd get sent off a lot more these days. <laughs> Gaza was like, I remember. Um, and 
Richard Goff, we did an interview with Richard Goff and he told us, he says we would say to Paul Gascoigne, this is, please don't. And he's like, I just want to help out. Uh, <laughs> I, I, and it was that just that attitude to be involved, and I think maybe schools was like that as well. It's like, well, I better, you know, I better run by. No, you're spot on. There was one thing. Not only could he not do, he was excessively bad at it. <laughs> like, it was a menace. But um, no, apart, apart from, tackling aside, apart from it being quite comical to watch. Um, again, I'm thinking I'm in the same boat as everybody else. That I'm not a Man United fan, but uh, it was a joy to watch playing football. Um, some of the pat, some of the, the goals he scored as well, the long range efforts, you know, and uh, the his ability to just pass a ball on a dime, fifty yards, you know, it's I, I'm not sure about the myth and the story or whatever when Ronaldo the one him at the training ground and Ronaldo's doing all the tricks and he says to him what can you do and he goes he hits a tree about hundred yards away and Ronaldo took a couple of goals to do it so I'm not sure about the the confirmation if that's a proper story or not but it's one that's done the pub circuit a good few times I'm sure print, print the legend that's it yeah and I want to believe it um, but no absolutely loved Paul's goals uh, and anybody that mouths that uh, Robbie Savage is a wanker live on TV he's got my vote as well I think that's a good shout uh, Eddie your views on Paul's goals scores goals <laughs> yeah there's, n- there's no argument to be made against him Um I don't like him as much as the other two, um, but that's only because I was a huge fan of Lampard when he was a player. But I, I'm certainly not going to doubt his ability and definitely belongs in these conversations. Um, my barometer for him, as I said in the last show, is I've got a mate who's a massive Man City fan. He's followed them all the way through the divisions when they went down and everything. And he thinks Paul Scholes is a fantastic player and a great guy as well. So if you're one of your rivals who proper hates, like that, not obviously our level of rivalry we have up the road, but probably the next best thing from his side um, and still rates the man, then he's obviously got something about him. And then when you've got players like Zidane coming out and saying that he's a complete player, then you, you can't really argue with a man like Zidane. Perhaps you previously would have been able to make the argument that Zidane was a footballer and footballers don't know it quite as well for judging Everton but then Zidane's proven that he's not just a footballer he's a great manager as well so I think he has an ability to judge a player and if he's saying that Scholes is a fantastic player then Scholes is an absolutely fantastic player didn't know he never used to do many interviews to be honest I didn't pay that much attention to him but I'm assuming he just didn't want to put his foot in his mouth and then since he's retired he started putting his daughter's foot in his mouth so there we go I cannot stress enough if you're out there and, and you've seen you haven't seen this, don't go looking for it. Yeah, normally I'm the kind of person who'd encourage to go and look up weird stuff on the internet, but that's just genuinely one of the more upsetting things I think I've ever seen. Second, uh, second maybe wrong. if you'd taken an agent to these contract negotiations he'd be able to afford nail clippers. <laughs> that's that's a true. good point, I I love how that's one. That's so innocent. There, it was just like that's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. I was like Gareth for the officers. Like here, I could show you a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no doubt. Um, yeah, uh, fantastic player. Eleven Premier League titles, more than any other English player has won. So yeah, um, not not too shabby. I, I, I think. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's round off the midfield then. Uh, move on to David's final pick of this four-three-three. Uh, this player is primarily known for playing with one club, although he did play for four seasons at the Qatari-based Al Sad Sports Club. I'm not going to tell you the other team because it might give it away. Um, 
made 133 appearances for his national team, scoring 13 goals. Um, Iddy, you're up first. Any shout? Can we go back and give me Paul Scholes again? <laughs> I rather thought the second club might give it away. Hmm. Javi Hernandez and uh, Scott do you want to go for a guess I was going between one and two but I think one of them went to a different country so I was going to say Javi alright yep. David you're both <laughs> right it was it was either him or his mate wasn't it <laughs> uh, exactly exactly just the best passer of a ball that I've seen in modern times um, and almost sort of invented that uh, Tiki Taka. To me, I identify with it, and now that's influence. Everybody plays like that a bit, right? It's not quite as that things have been added to it. It's it's developed. It's not quite what it was. Um, and now you know the teams also have added in, you know, pace and the dynamism and the pressing that we've seen. But it was so influential to football. Everybody wants to pass the ball now, and I think it's made for football being you know quite entertaining. I still love a long pass. Because you know people talk about long balls, a pass is still a pass for three yards or sixty, and he could do both. But he was almost like a metronome in there. He just kept them ticking over, perfect rhythm, perfect balance, and always available. Teammates must have adored playing with him because. Um, and the guy, I'd, I'd, like obviously not comparing levels of ability, but Stephen Davis has this as well. Just always there. And your teammates must adore you because you you know you run into a blind alley or you get two guys come bearing down on you. You turn around there he is, and he gets the ball and he recycles it, and the team's away again. And he just knitted everything together for that Barca team, which allowed other guys to play, which allowed Messi to not track back. And you see at PSG what happens when you don't have someone like that there. Then suddenly, as wonderful a player as it is, the defensive thing becomes difficult. I think that becomes, you know, much more of an issue. But to me, he was just, you know, such a complete, as I say, what he did, you know, you're only going to stick him in the box and, uh, you know, knock a corner into him. You're only going to ask him to go and, and play at centre back. But in terms of what he did, he was the best I've ever seen at it. Yeah, um, pretty synonymous with being a midfielder, you know, or, you know, the midfield position in general. Um, he's um, pretty iconic. Um, managed Al Sads, didn't just go and play there uh, for two years or three years, in fact. So, yeah, um, that was that was unfortunately the uh, the only clue I was really giving there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, not not too bad a player. Idi, your your views on Xavi? So first off, I'm going to say I never debuted, David. You've you've done amazing bringing new players to the discussion here. But Good. Good. I'm now going to have to caveat with I, I don't have a lot to say on Javi, to be honest, um, because the most that I like most times I've seen him is when he played for Spain. So I remember his, uh, his lovely back heel to set up David Villa against Portugal in the 2010 World Cup, for example. But outside of his Spain career, any time... During the, the Ricard and early Pep um, time at Barcelona, I had a weird habit of being able to tune in when they played absolutely rubbish and lost. <laughs> it became a, a bit of an on, ongoing joke with me and my friends, so I maybe only watched them about 
seven or eight times over the space of those few years because honestly every single time I tuned in they got beat and, and the reason I usually tuned in was because I'd bet on them and then I'd bet on them turn it on they'd lose and then I'd be like I'm never watching them again people keep saying this team's great and they're absolutely hopeless um, so I, I can't really disagree he's certainly a player that everyone I know who properly watched Barcelona in those days loved him I think he's absolutely phenomenal but not someone I watched a great deal of I'm afraid oh, that's fair enough uh, Scott any views? Uh, any any more insights? <laughs> Not any more insights. No, I'm a, I'm a similar boat to Eddie outside of the Champions League and uh, his Spain career. Um, I didn't see a lot of him. I never watched him domestically, but seen the replays, seen the videos, seen the highlights, and from what I've seen of him, you just know the guy finds space, passes a ball. Um, I'm quite bitter in the fact that I despise Pep Guardiola and Tiki Taki and it bores the arse off me and I want a good crunching tackle and an Alan Shearer-esque header but um, no uh, you can't argue with a guy with this ability being in any world of living um, and like I said just go and look at his highlight reel but I can't offer any in-depth insights uh, as we know there's a, another league that I watch more frequently than the La Liga yeah, he's, yeah, an, yeah. he's an interesting uh, manager as well because he's gone into Barcelona, which were a mess, and he's, he's turned them around domestically, but he couldn't take them to the Europa League final. All right, uh, let's move on to David's forward line now. Um, I think there's a, there's a there's three extremely good names in here, um, none of whom, as far as I can recall, have been on any of the teams previously. So, um, what? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, again, we've got brand new players coming in, so that's exciting i think um up first um i am stunned stunned about this one stunned and i'm going to get very <laughs> oh my goodness right okay uh, i'll shut up now but my god uh yeah david if you feel like going back and listening to the other episodes you can message them directly um, i'm, going, I'm going to details. say are you mad uh, uh... righty. so uh up first then uh Played uh, 91 times for his national team, scoring 34 goals. Uh, played for Barcelona, Sevilla, Napoli, among others. Um, Scott, I think you're up first. Who do you think it is? Diego Maradona. And Idi, any advance on that? So I think you've tried to trick us there with a bit of lying. Andrew, because Diego Maradona came up in Louch's team, except he had him in the midfield. Oh, that's right, yeah. Well, not that I'm going to confirm who it is, but David, do you want to confirm that it's Diego Maradona? Yeah, well done, Louch. Uh, yes, it's, it's it's only the greatest player that ever played. So, <laughs> you know, well, the, the the greatest player that ever played that uh, that is called John Lundstrom. Uh, he, look, as a wee boy, right, um, you didn't get a lot of football on TV. And if you were football daft, like I was, that was a pain in the hole. You basically got, in terms of live games, you basically got um, you know, the cup final uh, until the World Cup came along when it was this absolute festival of football. And the first one that I really remember, I've got vague memories of 82, but uh, the first one I remember you know, very much so was 86. And people were talking about Maradona and he won it on his own. And... I know that, that younger people get a bit annoyed and they go, but, oh, Messi did this and Ronaldo did that. <sighs> they didn't win a World Cup on their own. He did. Um, it was Maradona and 10 blokes 
versus all these other sides. He was incredible. Uh, then what he did at Napoli, you know, the only two league titles in their history he won. He's a god there. There's no other word for it. But also the story, I think, is immense. And, you know, having you know <laughs> the, the lifestyle I had up until I got clean and sober, um, trust me, see if you can win World Cups when you are coked out of your box. Um, that's even more impressive. Uh, the story, I think, is fabulous. But just the talent. He was extraordinary. He saw gaps that weren't there and went into them. Uh, he could run at an amazing pace with the ball. He had a low centre of gravity. In an era where you were allowed, it was a legitimate tactic for a for a defender to take a switchblade on and cut your hamstrings. It was allowed. And he was magnificent. And he was just... if You know, football is about glory. And he was glorious. Um, and for me, yeah. And look, yeah, I admit that my, my, my mind is closed and people go, well, Messi got 256 of six. I don't fucking care, OK? Um, Maradona is the best of all time and, and I will hear no disagreement about it, quite frankly. Yeah, a player who's uh, <laughs> unpopular down in my neck of the woods. Uh, for Let's understate that one a bit. Um, was it for... his, see, that's the thing, right? That wasn't his fault. It was the referee's fault. Exactly, yeah. It, he, Yeah, he did it, but um, it, it's the ref's job to call. And uh, if ever, you know, I, I remember seeing a thing with Alan Shearer and he said, well, you, you know, you claim for free kicks that aren't free kicks to you that you know aren't yours or you claim for corners that aren't you and he's like oh you claim for everything well it's just the same as what Maradona did isn't it exactly and I think if if that's the only goal he scores in that tournament then they've maybe got an argument but then he's got his second goal when he goes past <laughs> and the entire England team by himself <laughs> um, and yeah quality should be undisputed but yeah Scott uh, your your thoughts about Maradona I'm just quite happy that I was ignorant and I didn't remember what Louch's team was when you said it never appeared before because I was just, <laughs> that stood me in good stead where I did say Leonard and this is a trick here but um, no uh, can't say anything bad about Mark well you probably can but oh you can <laughs> for, 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 for entertainment value without a yes. shadow of a doubt Diego Maradona um, just oh, he's an absolute wizard with the ball at his feet and on his knees and on his shoulders I still I love watching that video back here I'm just doing the warm up to opposite Napoli it's just honestly I could watch I could watch that for hours um, unfortunately for myself I didn't see him play much um, during his, his actual playing career until he ran up to a camera and got sent home but um, from what I've seen I've seen the documentary I've seen the highlights um, and tearing that England team inside out as well just an absolute character a guy getting involved with the mafia and you name it he's just he was just a cool guy um and, he was a movie I, star that played football and he played football like he was in a movie um i, I and as i say you know it's, it's great you know and i love watching these modern great technical players but diego had to th- one of the reasons i think he was so loved by everyone who's not english as, as andrew mentioned is that he played football the way we all imagine we would play football, you know, if we were pros. That Just with that, give me the ball. Gaza had it as well. Give me the ball and I'll go and do something cool with it. Uh, and that was one of the reasons why I think he was so beloved. That, that, that's exactly nail on the head there. Was, the comparisons when you draw in these uh, flawed geniuses like maybe Gaza, Diego Maradona, George Best, they just they had that swagger on and off the pitch. And, you know what I mean? It's, it's just something that's... 
severely lacking in the modern game. And to agree with David on the point about Messi, the arguments for him and stuff, Messi did they drag a team single-handedly to two World Cups. So and I, I agree with that. Um, and uh, I never thought I'd hear him sticking up for or agreeing with a Celtic argument, though, and saying it was the referee's fault. Because I think we hear that in quite a lot of... Yeah, no, no, that one, like, the referee absolutely got, England got, got done over, but but incidentally though, why was Peter Shelton turning into, you know, the, the wee guy from Life's Too Short when he went for that ball, you know, Um, but uh, they never seemed to take the ball, like, yeah, he handled it, the ref should have spotted it, it was, it was bloody obvious, but he didn't, and the goal stood, and then Andrew mentioned he then gets, you know, he does that, uh, and he shot, of course, sold this week, Steve Hodge, the England midfielder, has had his shirt since then, and it sold this week for seven point one million. The shirt he wore that day, um, which is inc- I've been telling my my wife for years that the the tops are buyer and investment, and maybe now she'll say that she'll see that three hundred pound for a match one Gordon Petrich shirt was actually a good buy. Oh, I'm on the Gordon Petrich man. <laughs> this is right up there with uh, Diego Maradona. Absolutely, sure. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it'll be worth seven point one pounds one day, but. Uh... <laughs> Not to keep straying back really, but also a bit of a bastard. And I like I like Big Petrich like. Oh aye aye, he had that as well, that kinda of, oh, you were running in on my goal. Um now you're not running. <laughs> and the centre half needs it. I don't I don't want to be stereotypical on that, but you could just picture him with a sniper rifle and a long leather jacket cutting about, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean oh aye, he he definitely had that silent assassin. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, avoid straying too far off topic. Uh, Idi, how about you? Your views on Maradona? Yeah, you can't argue with Diego Maradona. Like David said, greatest player that's ever played. Um, I'm. I know his goal you've, you've discussed there in great detail. Um, it's one that lots of people love to enjoy because lots of people love to see England fail. I, I don't like to see England fail. My kids are English. My wife's English. I've got no problem with England at all. But I loved that goal. That goal was absolutely tremendous to watch. Um, it's, it's great just watching it whenever it gets shown on TV and just seeing the, the reaction from anyone who is English and how much they hate that goal. But you're right, he followed it up then with one of the best goals the World Cup's probably ever seen and ever will see, where he just took around all 11 Englishmen on the pitch, all five subs on the bench, took around the manager, around the ref, and then put it in the back of the net. Just a, a supreme talent who... Made it look easy, made it look fun, made it look like he could do whatever he wanted and could do whatever he wanted, no matter what kind of state he was in when he went on the pitch. And a guy who I'm sure off the pitch was an absolute blast to have as a teammate and spend the night out with. So a great choice. Lovely stuff. Um, Right, let's uh, move on to what's technically David's centre forward, but I think, as you said earlier, um, this is uh, let's let's call it a fluid front three. Yes. <laughs> well, they're not really fluid; they're all playing in yeah. the same spot, I think. But uh, yeah, let's let's call it. three guys that you could throw a blanket over in my team. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's that. That's absolutely right. Um, so this guy played for just two teams at senior level. Um, made 281 appearances between the two of them. Uh, I'm just going to say that he played um, for teams who were in the Netherlands and then in Italy. Because I think if I give you those two teams, it may well give it away. And he played for his national team 58 times, scoring 24 goals. Idi, you're up first, I believe. Is it Marco van Basten? And Scott, any advance on that? 
nah, right away, Marco Van Basten, and he said the two, he said that in the Netherlands, that was that, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what gave her away for me at first. I was like, oh, who's this going to be? And then you said Italy and, and uh, the Netherlands. And then the limited number of appearances, I was like, yeah, okay, it's mm. Van Basten. Yeah, David put that the misery. Yeah, it was Marco Van Basten. Um, just silk, really was. Uh, when I mentioned when I was a kid, you know, there wasn't a lot of football on TV. And then a very nascent sky, um, my, my uncle had, I think it was cable actually, before dishes even in the late 80s. And he used to give me the, the tapes. Uh, he would tape sort of Euro goals for me. And there was this guy in Holland that was banging them in. Then he went to Italy and, of course, Italian football um was was on Channel 4 in the early 90s and Van Basten was just absolutely supreme. One of the things I liked about him, and you mentioned, you know, you had Marco Negri on the last show. When Negri came to Scotland and he started banging the amount of goals in that he was banging in, people were saying to him, this is a miracle. And he said, no, it's not. It's just a, it's a matter of mathematics. He goes, in Italy, I would maybe get four chances a month and I had to take two of them. In Scotland, I get four chances a game. So... Of course, I'm going to score more. It's just the same ratio. And that was Van Basten. He was so good at the chances he got because in Italy at that time, you might not get five or six, even playing for AC Milan. You weren't going to get chance after chance. And you had to take them when they came along. And he did. He was uh, yeah, a little bit like Hately, maybe not quite as, as physical, but he was tall. Um, he could, you could put, if you wanted to play the ball up to him, he's back to goal. He could take it down and hold the defender off. He was good in the air. Um, he could get on the end of things, but his touch, his first touch was fantastic. He had that pace. He had that ability to just hair off, just turn a defender and hair off. Um, and once he was away, it was incredibly difficult to stop. Uh, probably a, a performance that sticks in people's mind. It sounds like I'm England bashing. I'm not. It was just a great performance. It could have happened against anybody. It was the 1988 Euros um, where he got the hat-trick against England when he was just magnificent. He was up against Tony Adams, who was a terrific defender, absolutely terrific centre-back, and he made him look really poor. And then that goal in the final, of course, which everyone remembers. But when he went to Italy, that was really where, you know, that great team with Rijkaard and Hula and him. And he was just so, so lethal. If you made him chances, it was more of a shock when he didn't take one of them. Uh, and then I remember they signed uh, Jean-Pierre Papin and he couldn't get in the side. It was three foreigners rule because they had Marco Van Basten. And if Marco Van Basten was there, you didn't need anyone else. And just a truly superb player. A real shame, of course, uh, what happened to him. He, he got uh, injured, tackled by Basil Bowley, uh, formerly of our parish, of course. And uh, he, he caused an ankle injury, which these days he would have recovered from. It's just a real shame. You know, it was just a few years before that that, that would have been something that could have been fixed. But back then it couldn't. Uh, and that, of course, was what led to the banning of the tackle from behind. After that, there would be no more of that. It wouldn't be allowed, and uh, um, you weren't allowed to leave the ground to make a tackle anymore. And we've seen that now, and it probably has helped in terms of of attacking play. So he had that unfortunate influence, well, a good influence, but unfortunate what had to happen to him for it to for it to happen. But to me, he was just the epitome of what I like in a striker: big, tall, tough. You know, maybe didn't look it, maybe didn't look muscle bound, but but he was tough. Um, in the way that Ali McCoy's was tough because defenders could be very aggressive on you. You had to be hard to withstand it and just absolutely electric lit up once a ball came into the box. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and absolutely quality, quality player. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, his career didn't last any longer. Uh, Idi, your uh, thoughts about Marco Van Basten? So not a player that I watched a great deal as a youngster because he retired when I was kind of really able to pay a lot of interest into football outside of Rangers. But I have seen a number of his highlights on um, Ajax TV because I've got a little bit of a soft spot for Ajax. So I've watched uh, some of their highlights on, on times and just a player with just perfect technique. Yes, um, yes. That overhead kick against them yes. was just phenomenal and then there was a volley he scored for Holland I can't remember who it was against but it, when you watch it the ball comes out to him just on the edge of the like on the far side of the box and almost yeah, in line with the goal Soviet Union that's the 88 Euro Championship final that, it that just, volley back should across not, it should not go in you shouldn't be able to score a volley from that kind of an angle and he does just because his technique is just absolutely flawless um, so he's synonymous with the career ended too early conversation because this is a, a man who was on top of the world was just brilliant could do everything that he wanted from a striker and then like you say that injury happened and took him out one that in this day and age with the advances we've made in sports science and the medical community wouldn't have ended his career but unfortunately back in those days it did Um You've said it was Basil Bolly that did it to him. Interesting little story for you about Basil Bolly. When he played for Rangers, I was I was about eight or nine after a game and we hadn't won. And I was running back to Mankles. I got back to Mankles and I wrote a letter to Rangers or specifically to Walter Smith telling them that he needed to get rid of Basil Bolly as soon as possible because he was absolutely hopeless. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that he read it and that's what happened, but only two or three months later, Basil Bolly was out the door. So there you go. I did get a response from the club as well, actually. They sent me a signed Basil Bolly picture. Really? That's yeah. class. <laughs> <laughs> That's somebody with a sense of humour. Yep. You can't tell me that Bolly couldn't play football, could you, though? You don't tell I was me that. Say, <laughs> no, no. Very brave man to say that to Walter face to face. Look what Chick Young got for that. The thing with Bolly is. We, we as were an eight-year-old, I had a lot more uh, bravery about me than I would have now. <laughs> we, we were more excited about Bolly than we were about Loudrop, as daft as that sounds, because, you know, Bolly had scored the winning goal in the Champions League final, we'd, we'd seen him playing, and then he arrived at Rangers, and it's fair to say it didn't work out. Can I also add in the letter I said he couldn't play Scottish football? I didn't say European. <laughs> you know he could ah. play European. Um, no, I, I agree completely with Van Basten. I think it's another refreshing choice to see in there because it's. I think because his career was unfortunately cut so short that he does get overlooked in a lot of World Elevens. And when you look at the longevity that he could have had, the consistency that he showed in the short career that he did have, you could be talking about one of the all-time goats here had he had a, a lengthy career. Um, but just like everybody else, that volley against the Soviet Union... Uh, Unbelievable. I mean, scored a few of them down at the Power League myself, but I mean, just <laughs> <laughs> just one of those goals that you just it, it baffle. You boggle the mind. You just how? But it's, it's just sheer technique. I think maybe not to such an extent, but I think a similar player to Michael Molson. I certainly uh, just had that ability to turn a player, and then when the ball was near, he, he, he would take it and go. Oh. Yeah, just that was it. He was just 
just ah. take it in a way and the amount of defenders we we talked about Maldini ghosting and the amount of times that defender would be fair set and Moles is a good comparison just guys who absolutely trusted in their technique absolutely did and uh, unfortunately another comparison of course injury sort of robbing them uh, a little unfairly but it was just that maybe that Dutch arrogance that, that we speak about of I know if I I can pull this off basically because Andrew said that you shouldn't even be attempting that you know it shouldn't occur to you to try it never mind execute it uh, I think just maybe a modern equivalent different position is De Bruyne where not only does he see things other players couldn't see, he then has the technique and ability to execute them. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree in the slightest. And another soft spot for that is just that that goal was scored in one of the greatest kits of all time. Yes, <laughs> that's that's definitely one of the the reissues that I will buy every time it fades in the wash. Mm, totally agree. I bought that when Geo came back. And- yeah, yeah, I tried, but I couldn't get delivery before the cup semi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wore it to cup semi, so it's not been worn since for obvious reasons. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've not got anything to add beyond the fact that he's obviously a, a top quality choice. Um, there was a poll of the hundred greatest Dutch people, and uh, of the two football or, or of the footballers who were in it, Van Basten was uh, the second highest, only behind Johan Cruyff. So you know, I think it's a it's a not a bad name to be up there and no. associated with. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's move on to your final choice here, David. Um, I think definitely a well-known player. It's fair to say, uh, played for a number of top quality teams: PSV, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Real Madrid. AC Milan, um, 98 appearances for his national team and 62 goals. Uh, Scott, I believe you're up first. Wait, Andrew, did no? you not listen to any of the previous pods, no? Yeah. I no, I mean, I've only been on them and I've edited them. Because you've said that none of these well. three were on any other teams and two of the three have been. Are you sure, Eddie? Yes, because this is Eddie's, my... Eddie's just raging that I'm going to get this one. And, this is and my number Eddie one player of all time. Yeah. All right. El Phenomenal. It is the original and best Ronaldo. And look, I, I'm a big Cristiano Ronaldo fan, but he's not even the best Ronaldo, folks. And anyone <laughs> who saw, you, you said it, the nickname named it El Phenomeno. Anyone who saw him from about 96 through 98 knows exactly why. Because he had the ability that Messi has and he had the power and pace and single-mindedness that Ronaldo has. Ro- Bobby Robson took over at Barcelona in 95-96. And I always remember this in... in I think it was football focus. He was asked about this kid, Ronaldo. Um, and he said, basically, we have a plan here where if we can get the ball to him facing their goal on the halfway line, right? Just on the halfway line. If we can get the ball to him facing their goal on the halfway line four times in a game, he'll score twice from there. And if you don't believe me, folks, there's a video on YouTube of all Ronaldo's goals that season, that 95-96 for Barcelona. I think he got 36. And at least seven of them are him getting the ball in the halfway line and dribbling past the entire team at high pace and slotting at home. He was astonishing. You couldn't stop. Something as big and powerful as him shouldn't be able to move that fast, right? It's like a horse. You see it running by you at that speed and you go, Jesus, you just get out the road um, because it's going to knock you over. But the skill was something else as well. The ball just seemed glued to him and he could finish. 
we all know what happened in 98. Well, we don't know what happened in 98. We all know something happened. And then, he, you know, the, the knee injury got it into. Uh, and that looked as though maybe that was a career in the downward turn. But then he recovers the, the Real Madrid spell where he's winning Champions League scoring goals. He was applauded off the park at Old Trafford after just destroying Man United. But they knew they'd seen something special. Uh, and then, of course, the World Cup in 2002, he, he lays to rest all the ghosts in 98. And, you know, he, not quite single-handedly, but damn close, you know, takes his country to a World Cup. Uh, he was a joy. He was just a joy. And I, I, I've no idea how, when he was at his peak, you stopped him short of maybe a baseball bat and a sniper on the roof. Because getting close to him, then he'll dribble around you and go with his pace stand off him and he'll just bully you he'll just barge you out the road ball comes in from a, a set piece he'll compete with any defender to get his head on the end of it and he'll more often than not out, out strength him ball comes into the box low he'll find the finish just unstoppable and a, a pleasure to watch everything I like in a player strength, pace, skill desire and that single, that ruthless single-mindedness of I'm going to find a way to put this ball into that net, which I think all strikers need. And the type of guy, yeah, he wanted his team to win. He, he didn't quite have that thing of, well, if we've lost 3-1 and I'm scored, I'm happy. But if they'd won 3-1 and he hadn't scored, he wasn't happy. And again, I love that in a striker. Great player. Just wonderful. Love him. All right, Scott, far away. I don't think there's going to be too much dissent, but yeah. To your your view on uh, classic Ronaldo? I think I said on the Louch one that he's my favourite Ronaldo, um, and he probably is my favourite non-Rangers striker of all time. Probably, my, I'd say the greatest ability striker of all time. I wouldn't say that he surpasses Super Ali in terms of endearment towards me, but I mm. loved watching Ronaldo. Um, that was my sort of, I'd say my second World Cup, really the '98 World Cup. Uh, but the first one where I took an interest in every single game and was glued to it and had the Brazil top nine in the back and oh god it was it was just I, I remember that the year before that was the the Inter Milan UEFA Cup winning team um, right. him with Zamorano and Rakoba and honestly it was just watching him just leave players flat in their arse on these boggy pitches. I mean, he could control a ball over something that a tractor's been through. And That's like right. Said, I mean, watch that video and the pitch. No, they're just backing up. Watch that video. The pictures, the pitches are like Dens Park. <laughs> as long as I'm not at bloody rugby park. But uh, <laughs> honestly, it was it was an absolute joy to watch, as you said. And the the combination, we, we all know about his finishing ability, left foot, right foot, header, not a problem for him whatsoever. But that combination, I know we talk a lot about strength and pace today, and there's a lot of people who mention guys like Adama Traore and stuff like that. Ronaldo would have put him flat in his arse if, he, if, if Traore was lucky enough to get near him. Ronaldo was probably, I think they said at one point, he was maybe about 17 stone playing as a centre forward. <laughs> right, but when you have that pace, it doesn't matter how heavy you are. Um, and he, he just had that ability to shoulder off anybody that could get near him, and he would turn them. He, like like you said, I love that Bobby Robson quote that you've just said there. That's I think I've heard it before, but just to hear it again reiterated, it's it just sums the guy up. Give give the ball to him facing their goal, and if he gets one or two chances, he's, he's going to bury fifty percent of what he gets, and it doesn't matter if they've got ten men behind the ball. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, Scott, your your views on um. Was I doing an Eddie impression there? Or is it... Sorry, I've com- I've completely lost where I'm at. Uh, Eddie, <laughs> fire away. <laughs> so I'll just uh, start off with Scott. It was actually on um, Marco Negri's show that you made those comments because Louch didn't have Ronaldo Negri did. Um, oh, he wasn't a bastard. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> um, yeah. The, what can you say about Ronaldo? He's my favourite non-Rangers player of all time. Um, he's the football equivalent of Jonah Lomu. Uh, yes, absolutely. Great world Un- unbelievable. I love that. And responsible for hundreds of thousands of kids in Britain having stupid haircuts. Um, That's right. Yes, that weird thing at the front of his the front of his bones. In O2, that one was, yeah. Um, See, when you're a pale blonde kid with straight hair at Disney, that is good. (laughs) No. Um, And he could get away with it. And and just that goofy grin after he scored as well. He was very hard not to to take to. It was just an absolute joy to watch. You're not going to find many players who are going to be able to play, do that Barcelona, Real Madrid and AC Milan, Inter Milan swapsies that he, he was able to do over the course of his career um, and not be despised by the, the fans of the other clubs but just watching him play was just something else he, I remember the 2002 World Cup I was on holiday but and, and I didn't I, I like to watch the games but I wouldn't have put myself out while I was on holiday to watch them unless Brazil were playing because I wanted to watch Ronaldo play um, it was just a delight to watch play and uh, that forward three of him Ronaldinho and Rivaldo was just unreal and, and to si- think that that's silly isn't yeah. it I mean, that's just that's just stupidly good to, to think of having one like if they hadn't won that world cup with a forward three like that it would have yeah. been an absolute injustice and um, so they, yeah phenomenal were, pick for me David uh, absolutely love Ronaldo and I've said you, you've put forward a really 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 strong team um I think after last week with Marco's team I was like right this will be the team that I'll be arguing for um but I think you've put a really really strong case up against it this week again um the, the teams that I take forward are always going to have Maldini and Ronaldo in it and you've got both of them but also put in some players that I hadn't considered but can't argue against um yeah. and Ronaldo is just the, the absolute on the top of the Sunday there of a, a really strong team. I was thinking about, you know, like Messi and, and Cristiano Ronaldo, um, and I figured people will put them in regardless. Uh, so I think throwing a wee bit of love to maybe guys that time is forgetting a little bit. Uh, the other one that was really close was, again, a personal favourite of mine, Fabio Cannavaro, um, was pretty close. Uh, Tremendous player. He, he has featured, so I'm glad you went with Yaps. Well, my 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 wife uh, has uh, a, a, an auction, uh, or had an auction business. Uh, she's kind of semi-retired now, but she would come back from auctions with these weird and wonderful things. And she said, uh, "Oh, I've got you. I got a framed shot. I don't know if you want it. And it's um, a match-worn Fabio Cannavaro, match-worn and signed Fabio Cannavaro shirt. So I've got oh. one of his shirts in my house. And I wondered if that was influencing." That's if that was influencing it. Interesting you say that, David, because I've got a match worn and signed uh, Cialini shirt. Oh, so fantastic! Pair them up. Oh, oh that would be. There's, there's a defence. I've got a Bob Malcolm shirt. There's <laughs> there an even defence. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll just, play just, three at the back. Bob is a sweeper. 
suits me, aye. Boy could ping a ball. Boy um, could ping a ball, still can. Doesn't he? Doesn't he move much? But he can. He can. <laughs> He could, he honestly could still put a ball in a sixpence, but I just think that you know, giving a wee bit of love to these, and there were other guys as well that that I grew up watching because I was a big Serie A fan. So you know, guys like Pavel Nedved, um, it was you know a super player and, and great to watch. You just you can't fit them all in, can you? You know, there's, that's it. there's one know. especially up front that I'm surprised hasn't he featured, but again, it's it's those that were maybe brought up in that Calcio Football Italia uh, era on Channel Four with Batigol. I always think with Batigal the thing that probably stops him was that he didn't quite have that Champions League moment Yeah, yeah. and I think yeah. that in, in certainly in, in the last 30 years I think you need that uh, Totti's another one who was a, obviously yeah. a super player um, but he didn't quite have that one defining Champions League moment Um and I think that's the kind of testing ground in the way that, you know, I mentioned Maradona. It used to be the, well, have you done it at a World Cup? I think now it's, yeah, it's still a good qualifier, but I think now it's, well, have you done it in the Champions League um, stage? And I think that's maybe why they two missed it a bit. But, you know, they were playing a very strong... Look, there is a legit argument that in the late 90s, Italian clubs took Serie A more seriously than they did the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them to be winning those leagues, they would maybe argue. I think with a bit of legitimacy, that was that was the aim back then. I, th- I think as well, just just the thing that eclipses Ronaldo for me over them all is he's, he's won the World Cup, he's won the Champions League. He, he was just such a likable guy, like you said, that cheeky grin. And uh, I mean, I'll go mm-hmm. back and watch his highlight videos quite frequently. But I don't know if anybody remembers this. Do you mind when he was playing for Real Madrid? And I can't mind who they were playing, but the Boy had a free kick and he took it right in the stones, <laughs> and, he, and he was down for about ten minutes. And Beckham and Carlos were they were up in the stands watching it, and the camera panned to them, and they were having a laugh, just absolutely howling at it, right? And then the second half, the same thing happened. They get hit in the stones again, and he was down for about ten minutes. Uh, honestly, YouTube Ronaldo hitting the balls with a free kick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Scott, sorry to be that guy, but Ronaldo never won the Champions League. He won the Cup Winners' Cup and the UEFA Cup, but he's never won the Champions League. Do you know when it was? Yeah, but oh, combined. Was that 2002 now? No, he wasn't no. that squad. No, it was, I'll uh, tell you, right? It was Carlos and Raul. Um, combined, though, those but, Yeah, everyone, everyone knows the Cup Winners' Cup and the, the UEFA Cup are better than a European Cup anyway. So. Everyone knows exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. This is a fact. It's very true. It's very true. Um, well, well um, David, I think... You know, we're we're extremely grateful to you for for giving us this team. Um, we um, we've got a couple of more admin bits to wrap up. Uh, first of all, Iddy, I think you've just edged the quiz there. Uh, yes. One point more than Scott. I've got it I as five to four. Does that take me two points ahead of Scott overall in the wins column then? Whoa, 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 I... whoa, whoa, whoa! Back the train up here. I've got five each. Oh, okay. All Controversy. Right. Ah. ah. <laughs> get VAR involved here. Hold on yes. a minute. I demand a recount. All right, so what we're going to do... I'm I get very fun. nobody get Puyo. I get Mald- uh, I get Ald- Maldini. I did get Stam. I get Cole. I did get Makaleli. I get Scholes. I did get Xavi. I get Maradona. He get Van Basten. I get Ronaldo. Uh, it's five uh, each. Well, thank God someone's With paying Scott attention. Having an ex- Scott had an extra pick, though, so I get the away goals. 
<laughs> away goals don't count this year, mate. Uh, we're not doing our wins and losses. This is just on points, which is why I'm doing so incredibly poorly. Um, so, yes, uh, that wraps up uh, the quiz, at least. Uh, David, we've actually asked this um, of, I think, pretty much everyone on the pod while no, we're doing it. No, do you know it. what? Forgot to ask Marco. Ah. Uh, well, Marco would have picked himself, you know. <laughs> no, he, he would have picked uh, Walter, I'm sure. Yeah, that's true. And we um, could have got a good story. We've um, we've asked uh, most of the uh, of the guests uh, who they pick to manage this team. Um, it's not part of the team. I don't think we're going to revisit it at the end. But um, just you know, because we've gone through so many players, it's nice to get your view on a manager as well. Um. Loads of loads of guys to to sort of admire. Uh, Marcello Lippi would be up there. Um, Josie Mourinho first ten years before he got all better um, <laughs> would would definitely be up there. But uh, the greatest manager of all time for me is Sir Alex Ferguson. So you know, if I wasn't going for if I wasn't going for a Rangers connection, but it would be Walter, um, then. I think just for that longevity, Alex Ferguson won a European trophy twenty five or won two European trophies twenty five years apart, and that is just stupid. And he did it across so many. You know, when he first was in football, guys were getting paid you know six hundred quid a week. By the time he retired, they were getting paid six hundred grand a week. So he won three. that's the that's the difference. Aye, but he won. Oh right, aye, aye, yeah, he won. Yeah, he means his yeah. first and his last. He's for, he's, yeah. Yeah, there was a there was a quarter of a century between the Aberdeen one and Man United in 08. That's who's going to do that now? I I really I don't believe any. I I don't think you'll ever see that again. I just don't think it will happen anymore. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a cracking shell. Um, <laughs> Scott, Alex Ferguson, decent choice. If you disagree with Ferguson being a manager, you just don't know football. You should give up and get a slap and just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, listen, not a Man United fan, not an Aberdeen fan by any stretch of the imagination, but the greatest yeah. manager of all time. Look at look at what's happened to Man personal. United. Yeah, look at what happened to Man United since he left. They're currently, not, they're currently not four 0 down to Brighton. Yes, it's not coincidence. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Eddie, your views on Alex Ferguson? Decent, decent manager, decent pick. You can't argue against him, can you? It's like arguing against breathing. <laughs> the guy was the best manager that there's been, and I again I no love for Man United, certainly no love for Aberdeen, but the things that he's done in management were unreal. To like David said, gone from players that were earning 600 and were thankful to be on a team to <laughs> managing prima donnas who are getting paid nearly a million pounds a week and thinking to get away with anything. And every single person along that chain has shown him the utmost respect and knew that when he was there, he was the boss, and that's who he listened to. He was able to adapt the way that he got his teams to play to suit whatever was needed in that generation of football and did it all at club level. You can't argue with him at all. Neil Cooper told a great story. Um, the late Neil Cooper, of course, former Ranger, Tati, uh, told a great story. I was at a, a speaker's dinner he was at years ago about Ferguson at Aberdeen. He says he hated perms which were quite trendy in the 80s. Um, and believe it or not, they were on men, right? They were, if you look back, you'll see, especially footballers, a lot of people going for that Kevin Keegan perm. And Ferguson had told the players, look, if any of you get a perm, then you'll not be training, right? It's that simple. He said, and then one of the players came in one day 
he's got a perm. He says Ferguson made him train in a balaclava till he got his hair shaved. Because <laughs> <laughs> he spent three days looking like he was in the SAS before. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a feeling him and Puyo, Puyo wouldn't get on then, you know? Well, I think he was all right if it was natural. Right. He thought that, that was just unfortunate. <laughs> but if you decided to get your hair done like that, um, uh, that that you were not and you Sorry. Can, can I just jump in there? You saying I think he thought that that was just unfortunate is probably the ideal way to describe it because I can imagine Puyo walking up to training and Alex Ferguson just looking at his hair and going, well, that's unfortunate, son. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's like. Did you do you got your hairdresser for that? Because if not, um, we'll have a problem. But um, there's so many great stories about that. The Alex McLeish was on Heart and Hand, and he he said to us that you know he's he, he was a new contract. And back then, if your contract expired, you couldn't automatically go to another club up until Bosman. You you had to the the other team could hold your registration, and you could be in limbo. So his contract was expiring and, and his wife said to him, now remember, we've got an, an offer from Tottenham that you know doubles your wages. And he says it was for like you know, 250 quid a week to 500 quid a week. Go in and tell him. And, Ferg- and McLeish, who remember at this time is a Scotland international seasoned defender, is so scared his wife had to come with him in the car, right, to keep him from getting nervous. He says, now I walked into Fergie's dressing room and he was doing his crossword and he says, uh, with he, he says, I said to him, look, Gaffer, I've got this offer from Tottenham, um, you know, and and I'm just double the money. I'm not looking for double the money, but you know, an extra hundred quid a week, I'll stay. He says he didn't look up for his crossword. He just went, you'll get an extra fucking fiver, and you're signing the day. And he went out to the car later, and he said to his wife, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that the, the thing we love about the old school managers. It's just yeah. guys like Fergie, Walter, Jim McLean, just yeah. these guys that just would take no shit. It doesn't matter who they were. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just absolute brutal like when they needed to be. Um, anybody that kicks a hair, anybody that kicks a, what was that, a football boot at Beckham? At Beckham, uh. <laughs> that's, that's it. Uh, it's interesting reading his autobiography as well when he was saying it was time for Beckham to go because he thought he was big on the club. But, um, oh, yeah. He hated that. No, that's it, exactly. Exactly. Nobody's bigger than the shot on them. Stam, is, Stam as well, same thing. He was like, no, your, your head's away. Van Nistelrooy, you know. Right, mm-hmm. sorry, time to go. No, I think that's, a, that's an excellent choice. Um, uh, David, again, I want to thank you so much for this. We've gone nearly two hours. Um, so I hope that it's been a pleasure to listen to. It's certainly been a pleasure recording it. Um, let me just go through everyone. Scott, first of all, thank you for uh, for joining us on this one. Uh, honestly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, thanks to David as well for taking part and giving us a honestly a great selection it's it's nice when you get players that you haven't spoke about before and just jogs the memories and i hope i've endeared just endeared myself slightly more towards you because you didn't like me the first time i spoke to you because i was left-handed i i didn't dislike i just don't trust you (laughs) (laughs) and uh iddy again a pleasure to have you mate and uh and thanks again for your time no thank you andrew a great job hosting as always from yourself and David, um, Teco, Scott's comments there. Thanks for coming on. Wonderful team. It's been a delight to talk about players that we haven't had so far. Um, that's the fun.
aspect of this show is being able to discuss the players and to have a team which has had, I think, probably about eight new faces in there has made it really interesting, really enjoyable. Great listening to you talk about them, and uh, thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, finally, David, uh, again, thank you so much for for taking the time out to record with us. It it means a lot, and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure going through this team. Oh, no, thanks for asking me. I did enjoy it. It's nice to get two hours away from people thinking I can magic them up tickets for uh, a certain game of football that's taking place not long after we're recording. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. You know, I love, I, I, I love football. And, you know, it, it, obviously when it's your own team, there's so much passion and, you know, so much nerves and whatnot that go about it. But getting to just speak about the guys that made you fall in love with something, that's a lifelong thing. Um, is tremendous so no I thoroughly enjoyed it thank you guys cool um, well uh, thank you everyone um, who's listening um, we hope you've enjoyed it again thank you very much um, subscribe if you haven't already that would be hugely beneficial to us um, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one cheers <laughs>